Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of I Hear Design. This is Robert Yaminen, Editor-at-Large of Interiors and Sources, and I'm glad you joined us today for a very special broadcast. With me today is Janet Pogue-McLaren, and she's the Principal and Workplace Leader at Gensler's Washington, D.C. office. Janet, it's good to have you, and thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, Janet, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you yet, um, why don't you tell them a little bit more about yourself and your role at Gensler, and then we can move into our discussion for today. I'll be glad to. I have, I've spent about 36 years now at Gensler, and I've done um, a number, a wide variety of things, but I've really focused on the workplace and strategy and working with a wide variety of clients. And uh, right now, I am focused on our practice areas across the firm and is part of the work sector, which is everything from workplace to office buildings to consulting and product development. Yeah. Okay, great. Very cool. Well, I know our listeners will be uh, anxious to hear your perspective, so uh, why don't we go ahead and dive into our topic. So one of the things our listeners love to hear about um, are upcoming design trends. And as we close out 2019 here very shortly, hard to believe, um, I thought it would be appropriate to uh, sort of take a look into the crystal ball, so to speak, and find out what's on the horizon uh, as far as our industry and what drivers are influencing uh, the trends uh, that Gensler has, it, has identified uh, in its recent 2019 uh, design forecast report. And um, for our listeners who may not be aware, uh, Gensler's forecast report identifies some pretty significant global challenges that we're facing as a society, uh, things including climate change, Uh, the future of mobility, connected cities, and the problem of homelessness, for example. So, Janet, if you could, um, you talk to our listeners a little bit about how designers can begin to, you know, address some of these big-picture challenges through the design-to-built environment? Yes. Um, You know, this year we recognize that we're living through the greatest period of urbanization and demographic change in our world history. In fact, um, by 2050, they say that more than 70% of the world's population will live in cities. And so this is starting to accelerate dramatic changes in the built environment. And so we wanted to take on these four issues as as related to, you know, what is facing cities. And, and if you think about climate change, according to Architecture 2030, which I think many of your listeners are, are trying to adhere to, 40% mm-hmm. of annual greenhouse gases are created by buildings. So we're starting to rethink the relationship between the built environment and water by incorporating natural defense strategies and smart building designs to make cities more resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you think about cities in terms of mobility, um, cities have really been designed for cars, not people. And with the new modes of transportation coming on board, like autonomous cars and even aerial ride sharing, you know, Uber is starting to to, uh, really uh, explore that. We have an opportunity to take the city streets back for people, which is a really exciting um, prospect, including taking back parking and, and and taking parking structures and starting to use it for different purposes. And, right. and housing and homelessness is, is another area that I think we all have to focus on, particularly the design community, because overpopulation in cities is increasing the poor and homeless population. And so we got to create supportive housing for communities in need because it's important to 
design cities for everyone in order to improve the human experience. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and those are, you know, really big picture problems, and I know they can kind of seem, you know, rather daunting, you know. Um, so how do you how do you go about, like, yeah, yeah. How do you go about narrowing those down and view them through that lens of the human experience, as you mentioned, to sort of address them more effectively, like kind of that, um, you know, think global, act local. Like, I mean, how do you begin to sort of uh, put them into like a more manageable scale, I guess? Well, and, and it starts with really where we live. You know, it is all about local and we're all working with clients and across Gensler, we're working with clients in every sector that's struggling to keep up with all this evolution of how people work, live, and shop today. So it's important now more than ever in terms of the human experience lens. Um, you know, how do we deliver a great customer or employee experience in terms of being able to uh, build a stronger business performance today? So it's, it's a matter of looking at every individual project and what are little things and sometimes big things and sometimes transformational things that we can start mm -hmm. to incorporate in our projects as a way of starting to tackle this. So it's, it's oftentimes about rethinking a problem um, and looking for the, those opportunities in our very own backyard. Right. Yeah, exactly. Can you think of like a specific example of how challenge like that, that you can kind of look at it in a different way? Like I, I know one time I, I was talking to a different uh, architecture firm and they were telling me about, you know, problems in third world countries where a lot of times, you know, solutions aren't designed to the locale where, um, you know, they can't support the, the energy that's required to run some of these building systems, things like that. I mean, is that what you're kind of talking about? Like as far as being mindful of, of what the local community needs are, things like that? Yeah, it could be. It could be, you know, unique use of, of resources. Um, right. It could be, you know, in a coastal city starting to think about how does the water and flooding start, how do you work with it instead of against it? How do we think through, right. um, you know, where the homeless population is and, and really what's, what's needed most in terms of rethinking building codes or trying to get you know, modular housing done faster and cheaper in order to meet a, a critical need. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So the the forecast report, you know, kind of dives into a number of different vertical markets, um, you know, more than we have time to discuss today. But is there a particular market or markets that you anticipate seeing, um, you know, a lot of disruption in the years ahead? And where do you think those disruptors might come from? Well, I think one of the disruptors is that unique rise and challenges of co-working. Um, and especially since we've seen it and, and WeWork has been in the news lately, um, because it's starting to have an impact on future office space. And one of the, one of the areas that we just researched in our 2019 workplace survey was a deep dive on co-working. And what we found is that co-working has its limits, um, despite the, the consistent rise of co-working that we're seeing in companies and space. And we actually surveyed uh, over 6,000 office workers that are part of companies of 100 people or more. And according to our survey respondents, we found that most people still find co-working spaces valuable, but they're only using those spaces for less than a day a week. In fact, performance goes down and experience goes down if they spend more than 12 hours as an alternative co-work space. So, you know, what does that mean in terms of how we start thinking about um, space 
occupancy and the office market in terms of all these co-working spaces that have come on board and to support kind of the entrepreneurial worker, but also is flex space for some of the enterprising and corporations. And so it's important now more than ever to provide variety and choice to where to work and, and focus on how we really increase that people experience in order to, in turn, drive business performance. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting as far as being, um, you know, one of the disruptors that we're seeing. And, and that's, that's something that we talked about um, at our Design Connections event that we uh, host a couple times a year. And technology is another topic that always comes up as far as being, um, you know, a major disruptor. And we all know it's kind of changing, you know, day by day. What role do you see, uh, you know, technology playing as far as the design of the workplace moving forward? Well, in, if you look at where the role of technology in the workplace in the past, it really drove a lot of those decisions, you know, how to accommodate mm-hmm. this equipment. And now that we can work anywhere and everywhere, it's playing kind of a different role in our in our work lives, but even a larger mm-hmm. role in our lives in general it becomes really pervasive in everyday life. And so as designers, we're starting to create buildings and workplaces with smart systems that really augment people's abilities to truly personalize their workplace experience. So to, to give you a couple of examples, you know, it's sensor technology and, and the like that starts to uh, give us real-time information about mm-hmm. how we can start to use space and empower people to actually use space differently and better. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because um, I wanted to ask you about you know, data-driven design. Um, you know, so as as designers are collecting information using some of these smart devices, you know, uh, connected to the Internet of Things, um, you know, how can they take that information and then you know if, effectively leverage that that info and then to to make smart decisions? Like like how do you begin to not just collect the data but interpret it? Well, it's, it's, you know, leveraging the sensing, the software, the technology, and even spatialization of data that can help us shape design solutions for our clients. And, and that gives us, a, you know, an advantage for that project, but then also the industry at, at large. So, so Gensler started to, uh, has started a new intelligent places practice area that kind of builds on this idea. And mm-hmm. what we're doing is incorporating data in real time and user accessible 3D models and actually giving the owners and occupants these capabilities to to do advanced scenario planning and designing for operational efficiencies. So it's using the data to help us actually make smarter decisions. Um, in fact, we did this in our own New York City office uh, for Gensler, and we're kind of pioneering some application sensing technology to understand and, in, and improve the overall space over time. And so we're using kind of Internet of Things kind of data collected um, to provide things like um, daylight levels, occupancy, mm-hmm. temperature, then energy consumption. And so this is going to ultimately accelerate kind of everyday collaboration and where can we find people and encouraging freedom and flexibility to really experiment and actually improve the space configurations over time. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting to see how that, um, you know, how data and technology will be able to inform the design process. But one of the things, you know, I've been thinking about is, you know, the flip side of technology. 
um, as well and kind of the effect that digital media has on us uh, and how oversaturation of digital consumption has really kind of been shown to result, you know, in some pretty negative health outcomes. You know, I, I presented a CEU a couple of years ago on information overload, um, just about, you know, the toll that the constant exposure to mobile devices and technology is having on us. And, uh, you know, I was pretty surprised to learn just how serious of an issue it, it really is. Um, and I personally just, you know, made a concerted effort to try to disconnect from my devices daily and practice things like mindfulness and prayer and meditation, for example. Um, and I also, you know, in that presentation, just encouraged designers to create, um, you know, negative space throughout day. So those, you know, those moments between meetings and work that doesn't involve a screen and, and allows our brains to just kind of process what's going on. So, Jenna, what do you? What are some ways that we can, you know, encourage people to, you know, unplug from from the technology for a little while, both in and outside the workplace? And do you think um, design can play a role in that process and kind of helping people, you know, in terms of like wellness in that regard? I, I think design can play a huge role in that process. So when we think about how do you create a great experience for people, it's it's multimodal. And this idea of unplugging or reflection or just a little bit of downtime to actually process what, what you're doing, and this is especially important um, at, in the work environment because we're constantly toggling between various tasks and meetings and getting ready for the next thing. And mm-hmm. you need that time to actually transition and transition effectively from one meeting to the next. And so variety and choice for when and where to work, you know, and opportunities to socialize and take breaks are, are really important. But part of it is is providing um, areas that, that actually encourage you to kind of slow down and either connect internally or just connect with each other on a one-to-one basis so that you're able to kind of modulate your energy throughout the day. I mean, how Mm. wonderful would it be if you actually felt more energized and actually, you know, felt healthier when you left the office at the end of the day than you arrived in the morning. And so from an overall goal, from a design standpoint, you know, thinking about how to script an experience that allows you to do that would just be amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's funny, I almost find it ironic that, um, you know, all these LEED certified buildings, for example, have these views to the outdoors and all this daylighting. And yet, how often do we actually just kind of stand there and take in the view, you know, and have that moment of pause and reflection between a meeting or between, um, you know, some focus work or whatever. So yeah, that's really interesting. And that really kind of touches on another um, subject I wanted to talk about um, as far as health and wellness. And obviously, um, you know, the wellness is, is getting a, a tremendous amount of attention these days. I mean, everywhere from the consumer side to healthcare and pretty much everywhere in between. I mean, the workplace included. Janet, what do you perceive as being you know, some of the key issues as it relates to designing for wellness? I mean, is it, you know, materiality, uh, well or fit well certification, biophilia, evidence, evidence-based design, or is it, you know, all of the above? Like, like what's your take on that? Well, I think it is all of the above. There's no one set solution. You know, materiality is very important because we know that, you know, building materials are a critical component of sustainability and healthy design. Um, but but so is, is simple things like getting people to move, connecting people to each other, um, you know, biophilia in terms of linking to the outside and, and just connecting to nature. 
but there's also a flip side of how do you how do you combat loneliness? You know, whether it's mm. it's in our cities, it's in our you know, this is a social uh, impact or a social epidemic that that's starting to really pop up. And so, how do we also connect people? You know, and build those relationships, people to people, so mm. that we really build strong communities and strong organizations. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. It's not one of the things that you think about in terms of wellness, but you're right. That is, um, you know, a huge issue right now. And, uh, yeah, that, that's very interesting. And um, it's for people after all, right? Right, right. Exactly. It makes, it makes perfect sense. So, yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, and the last thing that I had for you, Janet, was just, you know, looking ahead, uh, what design trends, you know, going into 2020 and even beyond that, um, are you most excited about and why? Well, over the years, we've seen a shift in design trends in, in the workplace because it shifted from a place people had to go to becoming a place where people really want to be. And so the narrative has been changing from, like, effective or efficient space to help people work smarter and better to creating an exceptional workplace experience that people value. And so that's what's on top of mind for people today. But I believe the next horizon will be designing for emotions. And, and that's really about winning heart and mind. So it's about connecting people to meaning and purpose and values, as well as to each other to build an inclusive environment of diverse talent, not unlike what we were just talking about in terms of really connecting people and building those strong relationships. So tapping into people's emotions may likely change how we talk about employee engagement and I think it has the potential to take organizational business performance to a whole new level. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. And, and I think you're right going forward that that will make a tremendous impact um, on the bottom line as well. You know, but even though we're addressing the human needs. So that's very, very cool. Okay. Well, this has been a great discussion, Janet, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, and thanks again for being here. Well, thank so you. That's- I really, it's a fun time. Yeah, great. Well, that's it for today's broadcast, everyone. Um, Be sure to tune in next time. Uh, I'll be talking with Huntsman Architectural Group and their collaboration with Tarquette on uh, their new showroom in New York City. And as always, we hope uh, you keep the conversation going by sounding off on our Twitter and Facebook pages. So thanks for tuning in and be well, everyone. 